Welcome to the Modern Hippie Podcast, where we'll be exploring all of my favorite boundary-pushing people and topics surrounding consciousness, psychedelics, mental performance, functional medicine, living in alignment, and so much more. I'm your host, Barrett Perlman, a former pro wakeboarder turned body worker, energy healer, and well, a modern hippie. And I'm so glad you're here. Are you struggling to integrate your plant medicine or psychedelic experiences? Do you feel alone in your journey towards healing and self-discovery? It's time to discover the sacred integration tribe. Our online membership community is dedicated to bringing people together to share their experiences and support one another on their healing journey. With access to a wide range of resources, including weekly expert guidance on live integration calls with me, Barrett Perlman, guest hosts, integration materials released monthly, and heart-centered peer support, you can finally find the tribe you've been searching for. Join Sacred Integration Tribe today at www.sacredintegrationtribe.com and discover the power of community on your path towards healing and personal growth. Again, that's sacredintegrationtribe.com. Welcome back to the Modern Hippie Podcast. I am joined today by my dear friend and mentor, Hamilton Souther, who is a visionary and ayahuascaro, founder of Blue Morpho Ayahuasca and Blue Morpho Academy, as well as Full Stock NFT Marketplace. He's also an author and just all around incredibly awesome human being. Thank you so much for joining me today, Hamilton. Oh, thanks, Barrett. That's a really nice introduction. Hmm, thank you. Well, it's like your fourth time now on my podcast. You're shattering the record. <laughs> I've been invited back. I'm, in, I'm, you know, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's an honor to get to talk about all the things we get to talk about. So it's a real pleasure. Yeah, well, it's a good fit because um, so many of our favorite things are the same favorite things. I think over the years we've decided that some of the best things are the things that we can all share. Hmm. Well said. Very inclusive. <laughs> So you're just coming out of um, a, a ayahuasca retreat. How was it? I am indeed. It was amazing. Uh, before it, I had a series of ceremonies. So I've really been coming off a marathon of eight ayahuasca ceremonies in the last two weeks, which is uh, pretty extensive. Um, you feel the weight of it after after that, and you start integrating. But the the week was amazing. I think um, the the biggest takeaways now are coming from the massive evolution and improvement from the participants. So it mm -hmm. seems like we're accelerating the amount of experience and transformation and uh, packing that into the same amount of time and ceremonies as we were before. And just, it's a, it's a very am amazing and it's, it's a, it's so powerful to, you know, ask a group of 25 to 30 people, um, you know, who had direct experiences not just psychedelic experiences, but something beyond this idea of just, you know, quote unquote tripping, something that's truly uh, teaching, something that is awakening, something that's healing and transformational, and also a direct experience of source, divinity, love. And so I think that's really the, the most impactful thing is this uh, incredible amount of firsthand experience people are having. Mm. It's beautiful. And um, I had a couple friends who were there with you this last time. And I'm curious how many people are new showing up now versus uh, have experience with the medicine. 
or at least for this last retreat? Yeah, I mean, I think with, you know, Blue Morpho, there's people that always come back and, you know, come on subsequent retreats. So we're seeing anywhere from uh, 20 to 30% of the retreat participants are people who are coming back and continuing their study and exploration with us. And then in terms of people who are having their very first ever ayahuasca ceremonies, whether it's with us or anybody, you know, uh, or coming back and having had experiences, I think it's about 50-50. And so uh, half the group, I think, is having their very first ever ayahuasca ceremony. Another 25% of the group has tried ayahuasca somewhere else, and 25% are people who are coming back who've had our uh, previous experience with us. Mm, that's awesome. And, um, for anyone who's listening that doesn't know, I've now done two retreats with you and I am super excited to be coming back in June for the two week retreat with you to do the eight ceremonies. Yeah. The June, July retreat is a one time a year thing that we do where we basically attach two retreats together. And so instead of having one a month, which is our typical frequency, um, we now are going to have one at the end of June and the first week of July. And so for people who want a very in-depth experience, this gives them an opportunity to do eight ceremonies, very much like I just did now within two weeks. Um, the schedule will be two ceremonies on, one night on, off, two on, one off, um, literally throughout the eight ceremonies. So we'll just continue that cadence and we'll see how it goes. Typically it, it has incredibly deep uh, exploration and also a tremendous amount of learning and communing with uh, the plant spirit and ayahuasca. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, I'm, I think the most I've done so far kind of in close proximity to each other is like five where last time I came and did one with you sort of in private. And then we did the two with the retreat one night off two on. So what, how would you describe more of the overarching lessons from eight as opposed to four? ceremonies in a row. I think it's progressive. Yeah. The, the overarching change is the more time you get in the ceremony itself, the more comfortable you can become. So with ayahuasca, there's this huge learning curve. And we talked about that a little bit after your last retreat, Mm. this really big learning curve between thoughts and expectations and the way it actually happens and other people's stories and the way we reinterpret them. Uh, so I just think the, the more time you get in ceremony, the more opportunity you have to have all of the experiences. And ultimately having all of the experience or like all of the typical consistent experiences. And that helps us move through expectation. It helps us move through um, places where our own ideas are blocking us from having a deeper connection. And it's really about relationship building, which I've you know talked about a lot, that there's this deep relationship that you're, you're learning through the communion with the plants so having more time to uh, fully embrace that and learn from it, I think is cumulative and, and kind of additive practice. The final piece of it is uh, you get m- fundamentally more transformation. Now that can sound great unless you're already saturated with transformation. So you don't actually need more. You need to move on to integration or, integ- you know, or, or uh, the implementation of what you've learned. So, you know, typically for people, four ceremonies is enough, um, but this is an opportunity just to go really deep and then, you know, really have a, a much more profound relationship with the plant. Mm. I'm so excited um, for anyone listening who 
doesn't recall my story before when I went and saw you in January, my overarching lesson was one of gluttony and one of um, just really desiring to put, I went there trying to just put as much medicine in to try to get to these alien races and alternate dimensions that mother ayahuasca was just put the kibosh on. She was just like predominantly like, mm, not this time. This time the lesson is about slowing down. <laughs> and this time the lesson is about, um, yeah, I remember she took me into being like a mitochondria in a tree and, and she sat there with me and made me watch it. And I was like, it is, what, what are we doing here? And she was like, see how slowly it grows and changes. And I was like, mm-hmm. she's like, the world, it can grow slowly and change slowly. And I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. I'm getting it. And it ended up kind of sparking this whole um, ego death for me because that was very shattering to me. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an Aries. I'm an adrenaline sports athlete. Like I love to go fast and go hard. And she was very much like slow down. And I had a lot of friction against that. Um, so I'm excited this time to go with less expect lesson learned less expectations and really see what we can do in the medicine how we can play i'm going to specifically request some alien encounters this time in my intentions <laughs> get very specific about it um what are alien encounters for you like how do we unpack that <laughs> so we can understand like well, what is an alien encounter uh, they're often so friendly. They're so cool. Um, there's uh, this one on the last retreat, there's this one alien race I got to see two times that are like these little butterflies, but they're, they, it's like they're these, uh, they're shaped kind of like sunglasses, sunglass lenses, and they have this white outline around them. So they're kind of like fluorescent purple with like a white light around them and they would just come and they would flitter in the upper peripherals of my vision and they would just kind of like say hi. Um, those were kind of some of my favorites. Um, when I was uh, at your house and we did the ceremony there and you had us sort of reciting this oath, um, this, this wording about ayahuasca and receiving ayahuasca, um, there were these giant praying mantis like aliens that came and, and came up to me and were like reserving it back into my mouth is the energetics of the medicine. Um, so they're generally usually very friendly. They're generally usually very helpful. They're generally curious. And the more curious you are with them, the, the more they want to interact. Um, I had some last time that were trying to communicate with me through electrical zaps on my tongue. And that was a very interesting form of communication I've never experienced before. Someone just called me today trying to decipher his mushroom journey he had a couple of days ago. And he also saw like a praying mantis like being. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, you're supposed to interact. He's like, I was so scared. And I was like, well, did you ask it questions? Did you interact with it? And he sort of said no. <laughs> and um, yeah, helping him integrate that. But there's a lot of these kind of beings there. How would you describe them? Yeah, I, I like the unpacking of that. Um, recently, these praying mantis beings have come up a lot for people. So I've been hearing it in lots of different circles. And they're also traditionally recognized and understood. Uh, I think it's interesting, the idea around the word alien. Um, in the traditional circles, you hear a lot plant medicine spirit. 
And I think we're talking about the same things. So I think we have names for these beings or we're trying to categorize these beings, but uh, fundamentally they're shared amongst uh, participants. So we see similar things. Um, I agree. Most of the kinds of spirits, beings, entities, aliens, if we put all of those in the same group, so they're just kind of like these things we see in vision, um, most of them have been supportive, helpful, curious, intriguing. Um, sometimes they engender a certain kind of fear. And then as you calm down, they might even laugh at like why you got scared in the first place. But this idea of this malevolent force that's in there and dooming, I just don't think that that's really uh, real at all other than that we create that. So I think the more we stay away from that, the better. And the more that we can interact is, uh, yeah, really important. And I, I like the idea that you asked this person about the praying mantises. Well, did you interact? Did you talk to them? Did you question them? Did you, you learn about them? And I, I used to call that process investigation, that you wanted mm -hmm. to investigate these things as soon as you had an opportunity to interact with them. Um, and that, that was a, a perfectly okay thing to do. In fact, it was a welcomed thing to do. So you could ask it any kind of question you wanted to be able to get comfortable and um, that that was enriching to the t total experience that you could then learn so much more about them because you're willing to question, not just sit in fear. And that interaction is super important. He said the funniest thing to me um, in response because he's Brazilian and his response was, should I ask them in Portuguese or should I ask them in English? <laughs> I think you asked them in, in the thing that makes language happen. So I think, you, I think you're talking to them from your brain. And um, yeah. I would think they're probably capable of, of any language. You know, I think they're probably yeah. omni, omni language. Exactly. I was like, I don't, they're not really going to like speak language. It's like, just think it and they're going to receive it. It's a different, different way of communicating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How would you describe that? Like, is that what telepathy is for you? Or how would you describe that? Like thinking, communicating space with those things? Hmm. Great question. Um, for me, it's different than telepathy. Like I've had telepathy in some of your ceremonies where I get to interact with someone else's consciousness and it's a very clear, like right, you're listening to you don't really do radios anymore. Like you're listening to music playing or you're listening to a podcast. You're, like you're very clearly listening to someone talk. Um, the communication I've had with these aliens and things is more of like a, a knowing. So maybe that's even more telepathy than the other thing I experience, which is energy interacting in a way that they don't necessarily remember it. Um, but with the aliens, it's like that, that knowing all of a sudden there's information now in your brain that you didn't know and they're communicating. How would, yeah, how would, does that work for you? Yeah. I think unpacking these things is really hard and, um, sharing these kinds of conversations is really important to understand how we're trying to talk about the same things, but we don't have a, like a great way to language them yet amongst everybody, mm -hmm. especially in the community. But yeah, I agree with that. I think when you have, there's kind of two degrees of telepathy that I've experienced. One is like you say, where you're aware of someone else's consciousness and it's really strong. Like you can be in the same ceremonial room together and sometimes not even in the same place. But, you know, like on this last week, um, as different guests went through different uh, experiences where they needed me, I could hear them need something. And then I would just see their face come into the vision like right here. 
right? Mm. And then I would be with that and there would be a kind of transference of information. Um, not clear whether or not they could consciously know in that moment that they were connected that way and sharing that information. But all, all of it was just about what they needed to be able to help them move through that phase of the experience. So I could either be just like calming them down or it could be providing a certain kind of medicine or it could be uh, helping them release a certain kind of energy and then, you know, or orient to like a more positive place inside themselves. And that's all happening non-verbally, right? But it's happening through the consciousness itself. Then with like really experienced practitioners, there's a kind of telepathy where it's like, you guys have called each other and it's not like you're using the internet. It's like, you guys are the internet. So it's, so it's like, you got both. It's like this part of you is like, I am the fiber optic and, and we're connected and talking, which can be really uncomfortable, right? Like insanely uncomfortable to start with. Um, and then there's like a direct conversation like we're having where you could shut the conversation off and come back to it the next day and both remember what you were talking about, right? So it's like directly linear, directly conversive, sometimes in language and sometimes in that shared thought space. Which then leads us to like this idea of communicating with what people call spirits, beings, entities, or aliens. So I think all of those are maybe like within the same umbrella of these light shape creature things that are uh, animated and conversive and, and uh, like the praying mantises is described. And that in that phenomena, there's this awareness. And as you think, they're already answering. Like as mm-hmm. like the speed of communication is so overlapped, it's so fast. It's not like speak, pause, receive, understand, like all this like linear progression. It's just happening almost at the same time. And uh, yeah, and it doesn't seem to come through a spoken language, like a syllabic spoken language. It seems to be at thought itself. And so as you're thinking, like something in you makes you want to ask the question that thing that would make you want to ask the question is like, they're already answering that thing. And, um, it comes right into the brain itself. And it's, it's kind of like aha uh-huh moments and realizations the whole time. It's like, Oh, you're nice. Like I want to ask, like, are you nice? And it's like, Oh, you're nice. And then it's like, I want to ask, like, are, can you help somebody? And they're like, Oh, well, that's how you help somebody. And it's like, uh, can you, you know, do you, can you teach something? And it's like, oh, you're already teaching something. <laughs> like, like, it's like, <laughs> as you would come up with those questions, it's like, it's already happening. And that, um, yeah, it's an, a really interesting form of communication. It's obviously a significantly altered state from like normal conversation, but um, yeah, just very direct. I've always appreciated how direct the communication is. There's really like no ambiguity about it. People would mm-hmm. ask me all the time, like, how do you know, just, how do you know they're, they're safe? How do you know they're good? How do you know they're like positive things? And I want to say like the energy doesn't lie. Like the vibe that you get is so, so honest. It's so clear. Like if it is a negative thing, it's like really negative. And if it's a positive thing, it's really positive. And so that's always been uh, very helpful in discerning the communication. I like that description too about the energies because also in the medicine even if you're not trained at reading people's energies and you're, you know, you haven't been meditating all the time, your mind's not very still, you still get blown open to perceiving all these extra sensory things. Like the, the dial really gets turned up on what you can perceive. And that's things like energy when people walk in the room and it's wonderful or when they walk in the room and all of a sudden you're on edge that it's very powerful energetics. 
Yeah, I think who we are in terms of how we understand energetically turns on in these, you know, heightened visionary experiences. I think you can just think of it as like all your senses turn on, like they all go to Mm -hmm. 10, they all go to max capacity. And even then, as you learn and train and experience these states more, you find that you can, you can actually train the senses to be even more, more sensitive, more receptive, more aware, more holistic, and your vision actually becomes more attuned and and more capable um but yeah i think what also makes it really interesting like you mentioned somebody who would come in the room and their vibe would be kind of like versus someone who comes in the room and the vibe is great what i love about the medicine practices is that when somebody has that uh you help them release that energy and they actually within like minutes to you know hours are actually in a great place and the energy completely changes and that there's this great play of, of energetics that take place at that time i think people want to preconceive the ideas to like things they've heard about before. And it's like, well, do you read auras? And it, it's, it's sort of like the whole thing's the aura. <laughs> like, do, do, do you, do you like, like, what do you mean? You, you, you sense their vibe. And it's like, like imagine sensing a huge subwoofer hitting you like, boom, <laughs> boom. it's like, it like becomes so, so uh, intense in the nature of the energy and how nice it is to have that clarity, you know, and, and, really transcendence of any kind of confusion. I like that subwoofer analogy. It'd be like that as well as like walking into a cloud of smoke or something as well. Like you, when you walk into it, you immediately know, you immediately sense the things like Palo Santo can immediately make you happy. Cigarette smells for me immediately makes me sad and angry. It's like hmm. those two things. Um, so yeah, I think that's important I, too about vision to mention that uh, envision there's all your senses. So I think people also get like really, uh, concerned about the visual context of their visions. And then they might start like really doubting, like, why am I not seeing anything? Like, why am I only seeing patterns and colors? Which I think is a really interesting one because I think the patterns and colors are like incredibly beautiful and amazing and overwhelmingly awesome to see the sacred geometry, to see the fractals, to see consciousness in that way to see the the lights and patterns so i don't uh i don't brush that off as as you know oh i just saw that i think that's like incredible to see but there's also mm-hmm. auditory vision and there's also olfactory vision there's also taste vision and so there's all these these kind this amalgam of senses that can also be uh, activated in the visionary space and that if you have other kinds of visions you know don't just just uh, brush them off, only wanting one kind, like a visual context associated with it. Allow all those visions to be rich and continue to help turn on all your vision. At some point, the visual ones may have more context for you, but all of them are really important. And I remember in ayahuasca ceremonies when we would call in the flower medicine and it would smell like people were spraying like flower perfume around, you know, and there's nothing in the room that is of that, of like a physical perfume. It's literally a vision coming from the energy of the flowers and people could identify them. They'd be like, Oh my God, those are roses. Those are lilac. Those are, you know, Mm. Jasmine. That's, that's, you know, uh, yeah, just all these, I mean, just beautiful, like citrus, like, Oh my God, that's orange. That's, that's lime. And you could be able to smell the the smell so, so dramatically and so brightly. So I think, you know, touching on that idea of vision, allowing everybody to have their vision and getting into the kind of vision you're having so important. Wow. That would be really fascinating to have such strong smells come up. Um, I've been trying to turn up the dial on my, my 
clairvoyance. It's not clairvoyance, but what is that? Clair sentience, clair clairsentience, smell. Yeah. Um, and I keep getting interesting smells and starting to learn to decipher a bit more about them. But uh, I'm curious when in June can we practice some telepathy? Can we open those portals? I think we can try. I, mean, I think it's a it's about attuning. I've always thought of these things as when they happen, it's really quite miraculous. Um, mm. I think that we have to tune for that. So I think that starts with an intention to increase telepathy and then uh, and te- tele- telepathic capacities. It's kind of like a personal experiment. And then if it's not happening, instead of being disappointed, you have to ask yourself why. Mm-hmm. And you have to make adjustments. And you don't know, probably know how to make those adjustments on your own, you know, a person when they're first starting. And so that's where we then turn back to the ayahuasca and you have to say, teach me. You have to say, hey, like awaken this part of me. So, you know, something is, is needing to be turned on or straightened out to allow for that to happen. And then you really train it. And so I think we can always start training these concepts and we can set that intention now even, and we can start to work on it. But I, I hedge saying, yeah, we can always do those things because we don't always know all the variables of why it's difficult to actually manifest that state or have that state become something that we can manifest all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like for instance, when I was wa- first learning, I wanted to master all these, these techniques. This was like, Course. the thing, right? I just want to master all of them. Oh, God, that exists. I want to do that. I heard about that. I want to do, how do we do that? Oh, we should be able to do that right now. And yes. I learned that um, there's consequences to all of these different things. And we don't even realize what they are. And so I now think like, let's, let's understand if we want to train that capacity. And if we do, how do we want to train it? And, um, and how to do that safely? and minimize any kind of negatives that come with creating that kind of connection or that kind of training. So I just now take like a much more progressive and much more patient uh, mindset and, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, practice associated with it, but we can certainly start. Well, let's set that intention now. <laughs> okay. It's set. It's set. set. We're working on telepathy. <laughs> yeah. Because um, the, the other day I did a 9.5 gram dose of uh, penis envy mushrooms. And as they were kicking in, your your energy came there and sat with me. Uh, not sat, you were actually walking around me laughing. and <laughs> Like I'm doing now. I just hear that and I start laughing. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> and I'm like sitting on a foam roller. So I'm kind of like rocking back and forth in like this huddled position. And I'm like making all the sound and like wailing and uh you're just like bear it tone it down and i was like you can't tone this down <laughs> not this one this one's somatic the dosage is so big it has to be somatic <laughs> and you were like that's cute <laughs> yeah well, i agree i agree there are somatic doses of ayahuasca too but i also think it's a good idea to learn how to to center in the experience we could say like to learn how to be able to sit with it to learn how to be able to channel the energy associated with it and uh, work with our consciousness i think when we have those big doses you're also having an opening experience with that so i appreciate that as well there's a a lot of value and merit in that there's value there's value and merit in having all of the different kinds of experiences but i think for people listening to know that you don't rush into those kinds of experiences 
because sometimes we're trying to accelerate our growth, thinking more is more and more can actually sometimes be something that makes us take a lot longer, like to integrate something like that. Mm. And we don't all have the same constitution for it. And so, you know, like you say, you're an extreme athlete, so you're already used to those kinds of states and, and going to that like really big place. And for some, uh, for some people, you know, they might rush into a dose thinking like, oh, that's going to help me accelerate my practice. And then they find out that it takes like four years or six years to integrate it, which, yeah. you know, we did early on in our ayahuasca career. So I mean, we did speaking from like a lot of, of heroic experiences. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I think that's funny. How, how did you interact with my spirit during that time? <laughs> Well, you were just, you were pacing around me because also on our last retreat, one of my big lessons was learning how to be more still with the medicine, learning how to stop fidgeting with my hands or my toes, to stop shaking my leg, to just really begin to get still. Hmm. Um, and so in this one, I had a lot going on and I hadn't sat with um, a medicine in a big capacity just for myself in at least like maybe two months. And so I was like feeling very detached and had a lot of things to to work through. So it started with a, a 4.5 gram dose that I thought didn't kick in. And so like two hours later, I'm like, oh, this feels like two grams. Um, if this feels like two grams, then I need to take at least as much more to get to the four gram I wanted. So I took five more grams and then it pretty quickly kicked in and there's a spirit there who I'm now reflecting that I think may have been Papatua, who you had been telling me to call, who had not come to me yet, who is the spirit of spirits, um, who who turned and looked at me and just said, and you just took five more grams, like buckle up, buttercup. It's <laughs> like, we're going on a ride. <laughs> buckle like, up, oh. buttercup. <laughs> and so that I'm sitting there feeling like a frog, just like, like I'm not crying, but I'm like wailing, like the sound out of me, just everything stuck. All my energy systems had just been, my light body was not in good shape. And I'm just like making the sound and moving and you're just pacing and you're just like, Barrett, you can tone it down. And I was like, no, you can't. (laughs) Not this one. (laughs) But you kind of got me through that first the first third of my experience was like a rebirthing process and um, just really deeply unsticking my body so I could go into the next phases of it. But I really needed that deep unsticking. And so thank you for lending your energy. Oh, you're very welcome. I think it's interesting to, to you know describe the scenario where you take a certain amount and for some reason, the mind overrides fact and what's really happening, which is that digestion slowed for some reason, or it's working on the light body and, and the light body hasn't turned on, but the mental body is still very strong. And so there's sometimes doubts and confusions, like, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? You know, is this a dud? <laughs> do, I, do I need to take yeah. more? And then the moment, literally the moment it goes in, the first amount just goes woof and turns on. And this happens with, I think with many of the different medicines, we see this all the time on retreats where people come up for a second cup and literally by the time they take the first sip of the second cup, the first amount has actually just then started yeah, or it becomes aware that it started. So I think that's something to, to uh, um, you know, caution about 
about in terms of our, our dosing and self-dosing. I mean, in your case, you, you do very well with these very large doses, but you know, if you are sensitive to give it that extra hour, let it work a little bit longer. It's okay to extend in your mind how long the, the ceremony should be or how long the, the experience is going to last and adjust that accordingly. It's okay to wait another hour or even two hours to have the second dose. It's okay mm-hmm. in that moment to do something to get unstuck, right? Yeah. And it doesn't have to go just straight to stillness, uh, like we're, we're saying in this exact example, but sometimes you want to get out the drum and, and drum yourself into an ecstatic. Sometimes you want to use breath and invocation to help open that up. Like just say, you know, awaken my energy, awaken my light body, heal me, heal my light body and repeat that mantra for a couple minutes while you're breathing and do like a very ecstatic breath to help move the energy. Uh, I think sometimes stagnant energy within us, which is being healed by the, this experience, right, is one of the biggest reasons that we feel that kind of more difficult time to, to have the, the medicines turn on or that sort of blockage that we're feeling. And uh, let's work with our, our tools that we have. And then, I mean, then the second dose. And the second dose, I mean, I think is a great, um, it's a great lesson in its own right. And ultimately something that's incredibly fun. So what happened, what happened as you moved through like phase two and into phase three, what was phase two? Um, phase two was a, it went into, um, letting go of karmic ties in my body. There was a way, so I'm also an energy healer and do energy work. And there was a way of sensing going down my spine, like all of these lineages back on my mom's side and healing some of the brokenness that was there. And then I got to go into my current family and I got to iron out the kinks of any clogs they had going on in their energetic experiences. And I got to go into my boyfriend's family and I got to go into him and I got to go into my friends. And that was a really interesting perspective to just very simply feel like we were floating in this multidimensional space. And instead of my dad being all the way across the country in North Carolina, my dad feels like he's sitting right next to me. And in my body, I could feel the energetics and then I could move to push out whatever was blocking. And it just and would affect him. And my dad has some health things going on and so does his wife. And so it was nice to be able to send good energy their direction. Um, and then I, I went into this other space where I, I still had more unsticking to do. And I was unsticking things in my collarbone that were on this zoomed out scale related to like Antarctica and related to the Great Plains in Colorado and the wrongdoing against the Native Americans there and things that were, as they were coming unstuck, were just releasing these triggers of memories of things that thousands of years old that... I don't even have any personal, I I can't think of having any personal attachment to, but yet we're still somehow karmically attached to me. And that was a really powerful, powerful experience. And then 
it was a lot of, of healing focused, a lot of energy release focusing. And um, my boyfriend was like really nauseous. And so I actually got to see the nausea on him and I could kind of start to move the nausea. And we got him some tea as well, but like he was fascinated that he took like four grams and he's having all this nausea and here I am having taken nine and a half and he's sick. I'm like, oh, let me make you some tea. Let me do this. And he's like, if you can move. And I'm like, yeah, I got you, boo. And he's just like, he's like, please don't move me. <laughs> you know. And so I'm doing all the things and, um, but it was cool to see the body and then it was almost like we had all these little veins running all through our the energy fields that had different colors corresponding to what was going on there. And then I could like either blow it or I could will it or it, it turned into this really fun game of energy systems manipulations that was a, a great growing moment for me as a healer and a facilitator. So I ended up calling it like the we were in a DMT den. And essentially he had thought about taking more because he was coming, starting to come off the mushrooms when mine first kicked in. And, but then as mine kicked in, I call it a shareable dose. And so I kind of got to like give away some of mine to him, like he ramped back up then. And, um, that was pretty cool. Have you heard of people being able to share what they've taken before? Yeah, actually I have. Uh, it's, kind of a set of skills you need to have to work in ayahuasca. Like you can't take the amount of medicine out of somebody unless they purge, but you can take the effects of it out of somebody. So you can mm -hmm. decrease the intensity of the effects. So you learn how to pull it and you learn how to give it and you learn how to share it. And you do it through intention. And, you know, with Ikaros in the ceremony, you have these chants and stuff that you use, but it is a, a kind of common thing. You talk about like the, the sharing of it and, and a kind of shareable dose in large ayahuasca ceremonies. The reason why you hear about the practitioners using less ayahuasca for themselves is because it's a shared experience. And so they're tapping into a little bit of everyone else's experience. So they want to have mm. enough to get in and then to have that shared overlap with everybody else there to ultimately increase the, the totality of their experience. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating. Sure. Sorry, Our first ceremony together back in October, um, I remember the last night also ex feeling like I experienced a shareable dose because um, my friend Rob and I were both taking these like the, your special formula and he and I both kind of sauntered back up to the stage for a, it was a second dose or this, I think it was just a second cup. And when we took that, it was like, it felt like a, a, for me, it felt like a bomb went off and like radi like shock waves went out to everybody else who increased their dosage and the whole room just came up even more in a, in a very cohesive way. I think you can un unlock that as well. So I think one of the beautiful things about ayahuasca ceremonies is that there is a shared collective that's actually very safe for everyone to be in. So it's not like there's a shared collective where, you know, you might think like, oh, I don't want to be there. It's actually this like really beautiful cohesion that comes together. And as you ramp up and open up the space, everybody else can also have a bit of that themselves. And it's really a vibrational thing that everyone's sharing. So that's mm -hmm. really good to hear. Yeah. What's some of your, one of your most memorable ayahuasca experiences where like the dose just went out and the energy went up? 
Oh, I, I mean, there were a lot of, of those kinds of ceremonies over the years. <laughs> I think that, you know, during like 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, like during that period of time, um, there were these, these, uh, these ceremonies that just would get the amplitude of them was just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we used to call it big wave surfing. And <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just big wave surfing ayahuasca. And, uh, in those ceremonies, it would be like, th the goal would be to see how intense of an energy we could actually all handle and move through. And so we would start in the ceremony and it would start to grow. And then we would use Icaros to intensify that, like round after round, after round, after round, after round. And that was also a healing um, method we were using. It's a very traditional healing method that if somebody in the room can't go to the next vibrational state, they have to purge. So they have to purge that energy out of them so that then they can go. And so we would push the room and then purging would happen. And then everyone would gather in that state. And, you know, that could be like a fully kaleidoscopic visionary state. And then we would go to even a higher state of consciousness and everyone would purge what they had to out of that sort of echelon of consciousness and move to another one. And we would do that some, sometimes five to 10 oscillations a night. Ooh. So those are like big ones. And we, every time you'd have to like raise the, the, uh, the state for everybody and you would help everybody break through and you'd be in that shared state together. And, um, it was like a living mythology. It was like having all of the, the mythologies and beings and, and things you hear about in religions kind of all there at the same time. So there'd be like the plant medicine beings, there'd be these astral beings, there'd be, uh, divine beings, there'd be angelic beings. And that would come, you know, in, in consciousness from all the participants there. And, and then we would move through state after state after state together. So those are very powerful. And even this, just this last week, we had incredibly powerful experiences like that, um, really moving together in much more, much more cohesive way. So that, mm. like that other way gets very turbulent. This way is now just much more cohesive and, and it's really everybody together, just kind of, uh, raising up little by little by little. And ultimately the next day, just talking about the shared state. I can't wait to come back. <laughs> I really can't wait. And so you've also launched Blue Morpho Academy. Tell me what's going on with the academy. Sure. You're, uh, you're teaching people um, to be trip sitters and facilitators and coaches. Yeah, Blue Morpho Academy is the next evolution of what we're doing. So over the last 20 years, we've uh, really worked with you know, people from all over the world in retreat settings and plant medicine uh, settings. And during that time, we went from pioneers of the space to what now is like a global movement. And there's this huge, you know, visionary psychedelic and plant medicine global movement that's taking place. Some people call it the psychedelic renaissance. And, you know, we were looking at that space and thinking, what does that space need? And uh, what we ultimately came up with was that it really needs education and training more than anything. And so the goal of the Blue Morpho Academy is to really raise the, the plant medicine industry um, to have a, a standardization and an agreement on what are best practices and what are foundational uh, understandings that everybody in the space should have to maintain safety and professionalism, ethics, and uh, really highest standard of care for anybody that wants to explore these medicines together. So 
you know, we're very grateful to our ancestors, both indigenous and non-indigenous that have taught us so much. And you hear in the community, you know, that people take dieta seriously. They take, uh, before going into ceremony seriously, like there is an understanding that these are very powerful plant medicines and they need to be treated with the utmost care. Um, but it's also then a question of how. So then you hear things like, well, set and setting, but that's not enough anymore for just those thoughts. We need to unpack that and we need to break it down for everybody to really understand this idea of best practices. So in the academy, we have uh, four different levels of certification, like core levels. One is for a sitter, the second is for a coach, and the third is for a facilitator, and the fourth is a master facilitator. And um, each one requires a certain amount of training that really is both individual to be able to master that level of understanding and that level of the material, and then also have enough firsthand experience. So there isn't just one amount of time that says, oh, if you do that for three months or six months or a year, you'll be certified. It's more like you have to have the skills and have amassed those skills. So I think a sitter is anywhere from like three months if you already have you know, different kinds of coaching skills or, or different kinds of counseling skills. And if you don't have any skills, it, it's gonna take you longer. So it might take you, you know, six months to a year if you have no, no training going into it. But if you have some training already and you're bringing plant medicine skills to that, you know, you can be trained within three months. And then your facility, your, sorry, your, your coach is really for people who are already counselors. They're already psychotherapists. They're already life coaches. They already have some kind of training where they're offering advice to people already. And now they realize that plant medicines can be this great accelerant or this great healer. There's more going on and they want to be able to have rapport and uh, understand their clients who are also participating in these kinds of activities and ceremonies. And so um, that, you know, anywhere from six months to a year and uh, maybe longer if you don't have, you know, previous training in that at all. And then uh, for your facilitator, you need to master being a sitter and a coach to be able to really be able to become a facilitator. So you need to have those core skills. And then we add to those core skills because for us, a facilitator is somebody who's also ingesting the medicine with the people. So mm -hmm. they're helping guide, they're helping administer, they're helping dose. They're, they're also taking, they're an active participant in the experience itself. So think about the, the juxtaposition to a sitter who's there to provide advice, uh, you know, understand best practices, have a safety plan, know how to set up the space, know how to hold the space for others, but they're not ingesting. Right. And other people are, are ingesting and it really is like a more self-guided experience. The facilitator is actively guiding, actively participating, actively intervening where necessary. And so, um, you know, the prerequisites for that are to have passed the, the facilitator, sorry, the, the sitter and the coach levels first to be a facilitator. And then a master facilitator is a person who wants to have really uh, a master level of all of it. So it's a person who's dedicated their life to this. They know it's a calling. They know it's destiny for them. They know that they're going to ultimately support others and help train others. They want to be part of this you know, movement literally for the entirety of their life. It's just like any other kind of spiritual practice where it's a lifelong commitment. And, um, you know, and so they've already gone through the other uh, programs and, and then they would be potentially accepted to be a master facilitator. And then from there, that could take as long as it takes. So four years, six years, 10 years, it wouldn't matter because you already made that lifelong commitment. Hmm. It's a fantastic design that you have for this program. And I'm really looking forward to getting my certification with you, even though we've been 
working together for a little bit now. I'm super excited to support that and continue studying with you. Uh, will you be implementing any of the in-person elements at the retreats? Yeah. The, so the certification courses are one part of the academy. And then there's also the community aspect of it and the coaching programs. And so that's really like supportive, ongoing education that's taking place. And um, they're designed to keep the, the uh, groups cohesive and then also to be able to, you know, knowledge share and network amongst the, the people that are in the community. And so we have the coaching programs and then we also have in-person retreats. And so the academy has its own retreats independent of like the retreats you've been on. And the difference mm-hmm. is that the academy retreats are for students. So it's for everybody who are in the program. So they're already coming with a base level of understanding. They've already had experience and they're going to be hands-on hands on training uh, experiences. So you'll have an opportunity to facilitate. You'd have the opportunity and ceremony to work with others. The ceremony will be cohesive and together and also break out and have people working together on different kinds of energy techniques and visionary techniques, navigation techniques. During the day, there will be more activities around the the how-to of the practices, like what we're, what we're doing. And we'll be breaking down the ceremonies and during the day as well, practicing different kinds of techniques and then together taking that into ceremony and um, sharing those practices. So, you know, I think it's, it really is a, a hands-on training. And then uh, there's also in, in conjunction with that, our own lodge that we've turned into the Academy campus and Dieta facility. And Amazonian dietas are core to learning the Amazonian plant medicine practices. They are these uh, purification diets that you go on where you also drink other kinds of medicinal plants and work with other types of medicinal plants of the forest that become very important to your ayahuasca ceremonies. And so that's going to be a, a supportive aspect of the academy where people will come, they'll do dieta. They can also volunteer at the lodge and, uh, be able to come for a reduced cost. And then there will also be people there who are having long-term healing experiences with dieta. And that's a traditional mm-hmm. practice here in the Amazon. And so the students will also be able to work with people who are having uh, long-term treatments with plant medicine. And it'll really be a place to, to have that hands-on learning that's needed to not only theoretically understand how to do this, but also practically. Yes. I can't wait to get down to the Dieta Center. That was actually something on my 9.5 gram journey. Uh, the plants showed me how dietas work. And I was like, my thought was like, cool. Does that mean we can actually just like skip doing the dieta? You could just put them in now. That'd be cool. And they were like, no, that's not how it works, Barrett. That's not how it works. <laughs> They're like, but this is for your understanding how it happens. And I was like, that is so cool. That is so cool. Yeah, what it certainly plant- is its own technology. It's a amazing. It's an amazing uh, concept that the indigenous people came up with to understand that you can actually transfer from these other medicinal plants the essence of them into your body, and that they can transform your consciousness in a way that they can actually preserve themselves and be alive within you, and that you can then share that essence with other people. And they can, in doing so, literally, quote unquote, teach you the medicine. They can teach you the ikaros. They can teach you the the chants. They can teach you how to support somebody else in ceremony. And that that's ultimately a tremendous foundation for how the Amazonian plant medicine practices work. 
what um, what's one of the most powerful dietas you've done? Oh, I think the one of the most powerful dietas was early in my training when I was starting to diet multiple trees at the same time. Mm. And so multiple. Um, yeah, we were having, you know, three and then six and then eight and then 10 trees at a time Holy and then cow. even more. But um, yeah, it was very powerful, but it was, it was a, uh, it was an experience where I called the trees and they all came and um, I asked them if they had ikaros and they said they did. And then they were kind of like in this line and then each one stepped forward and then transferred its ikaro to me. And that was really like one of the the most uh, transformative experiences because that was then when I could go from kind of where I was in my practice to really the next step because you have to have enough ikaros to be able to handle different situations in ceremony, and so to be in that in that dieta and in those ceremonies gifted those ikaros that was like a true accelerant for my practice. So it went from theoretical and understanding a little bit and having some skills and being able to you know kind of be cohesive through a ceremony to like having, you know, many, many tools, having total cohesion through the ceremony. It was like a big jump. And so that mm. was why that was such a powerful dieta. Cool. What plant would you suggest people start with? Those are like a group of trees. If you're, if you're into this, you, you're going to ultimately, you know, diet all the trees. So um, there's like a group of five or six different trees that I think are good starter trees to work with. There's like Chuchuasi, uh, Remocaspi, Capirona, uh, Shiwawaku, Anacaspi, Pinchacaspi. Those are like all good starting trees to work with. But I, th- I like Remocaspi, Capirona, Chuchuasi, um, Maybe Kumaseva. They're like these are just names of trees, right? But yeah, those are those are them, and they're like just really. I think they're very supportive. They're very kind to somebody who's first starting. They're not as demanding. Sometimes, like these things have personality, and they can be really demanding, like <laughs> incredibly demanding. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, and they teach through these tests. So. Some of the tests can be really hard. And so it's nice to have some of like these, these baseline trees and first are still very powerful in their own right, but they're just a little bit nicer and they're, they're a little less demanding. So I would start with those. And then from there, you have that now as a foundational level to add other trees to it. Mm. Good, good to know. Um, I'm, I'm on day one of the master cleanse right now. And I recall from... <laughs> your trinity dieta that i can remove the cayenne and pep- add in parsley and then pick something to dieta i was thinking about doing it during my master cleanse since i'm already spending seven days that i'm going to do this and do like with a dieta in the middle which is different than a shamanic dieta but last time i talked to you you were kind of like just just try it i mean you'll you'll have this uh learning dieta not quite the shamanic one but you'll still get knowledge and yeah, there's the traditional practices are very specific to the Amazon and they can be used as a foundation for working with lots of different kinds of plants. 
So you have a core idea that you go into a kind of restriction with foods and you reduce the number of calories you're taking, and then you start to introduce plants into that. And so there's a process for that where you prepare the plant, you create invocations for the plant, you kind of awaken it in a form of a tea, and then you drink that tea. And now because you're kind of in an altered state from the, the, you know, the fast that you're on, it makes you more susceptible to the spiritual power, like the essential power of that plant. And so then you take that plant in and then you ask it to heal you, to teach you, uh, you set your intentions with it for the purpose of your dieta. And so we started to do this in a, a more public way and online with people during COVID. So like during the COVID lockdowns, we started to really want to help support people's health. You know, mm -hmm. so it was, it was like, okay, let's reduce fear. Let's support people's health. How can we do that? And can we work with the plants that are readily available to anybody while we're on lockdown? So it's like, you know, you're, we're all in lockdown. Can you get garlic? Can you get turmeric? Can you get, e even if it's dried spices, it doesn't matter. Like, can you get basil? Can you get, uh, you know, anything, anything? Can you get ginger? Can you get, you know, flowers? Mm. Do you have in your backyard or, you know, around you, uh, are there dandelions? Can you get absolutely any plant that could potentially help you? You know, I was like, we're, 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 people were in different places with different access at that time. So we were like really looking to help people understand there are lots of medicinal plants around us that can be there for us and can teach us and then, and can also help us be really healthy. But then I also liked the idea that, uh, you could also use this time that we were in lockdown to work on our spiritual practices mm -hmm. so that we could use dieta to meet the trees and plants that were near us and around us. And we could get allies within the plant kingdom while we were going through a kind of global insanity that we were all dealing with. And so uh, I thought that was also very important that we could not be cut off from our spiritual and shamanic practices during that time and that we could help lead people. So we created the, the Trinity shamanic purification dietas during that time. And we knew that they were going to be a modification from the traditional Amazonian dietas, but that they would have the same essence and the same purpose behind them, but ultimately be performed in a slightly different way. So when you presented to me the idea of the master cleanse, it's like, yeah, do that. And in that also add these other, you know, medicinal plants that you want to work with, or these other kinds of flowers or, you know, trees and add that aspect to it. And then we'll see what happens. I mean, I know it'll be positive, but we can also then see the difference with the traditional Amazonian diet. Yeah. So, and you, uh, one thing that you had said to me that was important too, was to not do the cayenne, which is part of the master cleanse to not add the spice element that that was really important. So I'm thinking on that. Well, when you work with the other plants, the spiciness of them is a kind of agitated energy and you're trying to like really calm the energy down to be able to receive this very subtle other plant. And so they just don't like down here, the spicy foods during that time. So they restrict spice specifically and hot chili peppers and things like that during the time of dieta. So I understand in the master cleanse, why they do it. You know, there's a lot of different reasons from vasodilation to, uh, the nature of how blood sugar is moderated, et cetera, during the, the master cleanse. But. Uh, in the Amazonian dieta, while you're trying to have this deep communion with this very subtle plant essence that you're drinking in the tea, that's why they tell you not to have the chili peppers. 
well, I guess I'll, I'll cut them out for three days and throw some Trinity Dieta in there. Kind of trying to decide what to Dieta. Um, you said something think- like, go, go ahead. Oh, go on. You have a suggestion. I like roses. I think a oh, rose yeah. dieta is a good place to start. I think the mm-hmm. roses are amazing. Um, you just think about how that plant has been accepted and introduced by our cultures around the world from you know all different kinds of, of rituals and holidays that they're added to and just how many there are and, and all the different kinds. And so I just think rose is such a, a powerful uh, flower to start with. Although many, many others are also very good. Do you recommend getting like rose flowers from the store and just sh- shredding them up or actual rose tea? Um, I think we, you have to watch out for just chemical pesticides in the, yeah. you know, the growing of roses. So if the roses in the store were edible and they didn't have, you know, they were food grade quality, but I don't know how they were ultimately grown. So I don't know what kind of chemicals are on them. Uh, but yes, if ultimately they were food grade quality, then you could use any kind of rose. But I would look if I could for, you know, organically grown um, roses or something like that, that I knew had food grade quality. And then I would okay. use those. You can use dried, you know, dried roses as well. And they can come in the form of a tea. And then you, yeah. you know, you just, you make the tea and you just make like a really concentrated uh, version of that tea. Mm, yeah, because I do have some rose tea, uh, but it's mixed with other things. So maybe I'll get a just straight, straight rose. Um, as you started to mention all the other household ingredients, ginger really popped into mind. Have you heard of people dieting ginger? Yeah, we did. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We did that during the, the Trinity Dieta. It's an incredible medicinal plant. I think it's a, mm. a, a very high value to do dieta with ginger. You could also do it, uh, you could add them in each day. So you could start one day one with rose and get to know rose. And day two, you could have rose and ginger. And day three, you could add something else if you wanted as well. Ooh, now you're talking. Because I'll also, I'm, uh, the reason I'm doing the master cleanse now is I don't really have a lot going on because I'll be in five days of a Buddhist retreat. And so mm-hmm. we'll be really meditating for like four and five hours a day for five days in a row. And so I was like, what a great opportunity. My schedule's already canceled. I'm just, I'm here. Let's do that and then throw the dieta in on top. Yeah, I think if you're, first of all, the, in the traditional dieta, you're supposed to meditate all day. So the fact that you're in a meditation retreat, that's perfect. And that'll really help center your energy and be able to receive the plants. Sick. Sick. Oh, I love training with you, Hamilton. You are just the most incredible wealth of information. And I love how generous you are with always sharing that with the world. And especially now with the Blue Morpho Academy you've created, it's going to help so many people. So I thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I think now is the time to be teaching more than ever. And really helping people understand how important these plants are and how transformative the experiences can be with them. I think we're going into like one of the biggest disrupts that has ever been prophesized in history in and around Mm -hmm. technology and AI and new neural networks that are coming out and the birth of literally new kinds of intelligences. 
And so now is a, the, I think, most important time in history to be able to have access to these plants, to be able to know ourselves and our own consciousness, go through our own healing journeys. And it's a pleasure to get to share this information. Well, I thank you. I commend you. And I look forward to walking this path more with you. Where can my listeners keep up with you? Uh, yeah, please come check out our websites. There's bluemorphotours.com and bluemorphoacademy.com. And uh, you can see our retreat schedules there. And it would be amazing to have you come down on a retreat. And there's a chance that Barrett might be there too. So, uh, you know, come on. If you're interested in that, come on the July retreat. There's still <laughs> space. They are filling up fast. And uh, if you're interested in the academy, come to bluemorphoacademy.com. And there you can see everything that we talked about from the certification programs to the coaching programs. Uh, just fill out our email form and we'll, you know, write you back and start to orient you on how to become part of the academy. And you can always find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Hamilton Sattler. I love it. Yeah, I will definitely be there. June, July. June has a waiting list. July still has some spaces. So let's let's get together. <laughs> And thank you so much for joining me today, Hamilton. You're welcome, Barrett. Talk soon and see you even sooner. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and review this podcast wherever you're listening. I'm so grateful to have you on this journey with me. Until next time.